Thank you, Danny, for uh, leading us, leading the choir. And choir, thank you for your participation this morning. So good. I was thinking as you were singing, man, it, I, I wonder if the angels were singing on that day that Jesus rose from the, from the grave, and if that's the reason why that stone did not have a chance. Uh, you know what, of course it's going to roll away when those voices were singing together. Now, I think maybe, Danny, you said this at the beginning, I don't know, I came in late, but he is risen. He is risen Amen. A lot can happen in three days. Last Friday, or this past Friday, three days ago, we remembered Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he has risen from the dead, and that is why we are here this morning. You know, as uh, we've been in our series, if you're first time here or haven't been here for a while, we've been in a series working through uh, uh, Jesus' time together with his disciples um, from Thursday night, and, and we see that time together with his disciples uh, in John chapter 13, starting in chapter 13 all the way through 17, uh, that's the Thursday night before he is uh, sentenced and crucified to, uh, to death and then his death and his burial and all of that. Uh, and so that's on the Thursday night before all of this happens. And so we've been working our way through this. Um, and, and what we come to understand, what we've come to understand really is that anybody can claim to be God. Uh, in fact, we've seen that in history, that many people have claimed to be God, many people have claimed to be Jesus Christ, uh, but none have proven it, except for one. Right? Many have claimed to be God, many have claimed to be Jesus Christ, but only one has proven it. Anyone, can, anyone who can predict their death and their resurrection three days later and pull it off, uh, I'm with him. And that is why we celebrate today. That is why we celebrate Jesus Christ today. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection today. Amen? A lot can happen in three days. Today we are in John chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn there. Or if you have the Bible on your smartphone, whatever, again, turn there if you would. Uh, because everything from chapter 20 on through the end of the book of John, the gospel of John, is about uh, the risen Christ. Now that's only two more chapters, chapter 20 and chapter 21. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just one of the events in the Christian life that we celebrate. Uh, it is the main event. Uh, it is the greatest event in all of history because it is the most significant demonstration of the power of God on behalf of believers. Uh, not only does it demonstrate God's incredible power, but it is also proof that Christ's work on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins is complete. And because of his resurrection, we have the hope as believers in Jesus Christ that we too will be raised from the dead. Hmm. That is good news. Because Christ conquered death, because he conquered sin, believers in Christ Jesus too will be raised to dwell with him in eternity. I mean, how important is this? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, we read these words, If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good news. Amen? Right? The resurrection gave Mary Magdalene joy. The resurrection gave his disciples courage. The resurrection gave Thomas assurance 
of his faith. We're going to see that today in John chapter 20. And as John chapter 20, as John wraps up his gospel, he tells us the purpose of why he wrote this book, why he wrote this gospel. When we read these words in verse 31 of chapter 20, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, early on the first day of the week. Now, the first day of the week, that would be our Sunday. That's today. Uh, the Jews numbered their days. They didn't uh, refer to their days as Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on and so forth like we do. They numbered their days. And so the Sabbath day, they said, was their seventh day because it honored uh, the day that God rested from his creation, from creating. And so the Sabbath, which would be our Saturday, is their seventh day. That's why the Jewish people worship on Sabbath, on Saturday. But this is the first day of the week, the first day after Sabbath, which is Sunday. And that is why what happens in this, in this chapter, this is the reason why we gather together on Sundays because we gather Sunday after Sunday to worship the risen, the resurrected Christ. Jesus said he would rise again on the third day. He had been buried on Friday and he was in the grave for a few hours on Friday and then all of Saturday and then a few days or a few hours on Sunday. And because the Jewish people recognize their days from sunset to sunset, not like we often do from sunrise to sunrise. Jesus was in their parts of three days. So while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary, according to John's gospel, was the first one to arrive at the tomb that Sunday morning. In the other Gospels, uh, we, we read different things like uh, she had started out with some other people. She, had other, she started out with another Mary and, and, and Salome and, and, and we're not sure what happened along the way, but Mary arrives there. Maybe she took off in a hurry and left the others in the dust, but she arrives there before the others. And even though it's still dark, as she is approaching the tomb, she recognizes that the stone has been rolled away. You know what? That stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. That stone was rolled away so that the witnesses could get in. Right? And so as Mary is getting close to the tomb, she recognizes that the, the stone has been rolled away and she fears the worst. She's assuming that Jesus is still dead, that his body has been taken and so she spins around, and, and John records these words. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who we will learn is John, the writer of this gospel, okay, the one who Jesus loved. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Her shock tells us that she wasn't expecting a resurrection. And so Peter and the other disciple, that is John again, they started for the tomb as well. 
I mean, evidently they don't have any thoughts of a resurrection either at this point. Both were running. I mean, this is a full-on sprint. But the other disciple, again, John, the author of the gospel, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I don't know if when you're reading scripture, if you find humor on the pages. Uh, I do. And, and this is one of those situations where I find it's a little bit funny that John wants us to know that he was a faster runner than Peter. Uh, in fact, he doesn't just mention it once, he mentions it twice here. Right? Twice. He says, you know, I actually got to the tomb first. Okay? I actually saw that, you know, the stone had been rolled away before Peter had. And as I read this, I wonder if this is maybe where we came up with the idea to have races at church picnics. I don't know. But he, John, bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now, I don't know why John didn't go in right away, but Peter, maybe because he was a little bit more bold, maybe because he was a little bit more assertive, he just kind of bolted right through. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, what's interesting to me as I read this account is that the grave clothes were neatly lying there. They didn't embalm the bodies like we do today. They would wrap the bodies like a mummy. They would wrap a little bit, and then they would pour the spices on the, uh, on the cloth, on the, on the linen around the body. And then they would wrap some more, and then they would put some more spices on the body. And then they would wrap some more and then put some more spices on the body. The spices were designed to overpower the smell of the decaying body. And so I imagine that for a few days that tomb would have smelt like the entrance to the bay. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, don't forget, John's a faster runner, he also went inside and he saw and he believed now I don't know what he believed exactly maybe he was just believing what Mary had said before that hey the body is gone because the next verse tells us this that they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead and then the disciples they went back to where they were staying Again, it seems to me that not just Mary, but also Peter and John, they didn't get it that Jesus was to rise from the dead. Mary didn't get it, Peter and John didn't seem to get it, and yet they were the ones that were the closest to Jesus. I don't know what they were thinking here, if they went, oh, no body, okay, there's nothing to see here, let's just go back to where things were. And so they went home. And so what we're beginning to see here is there, there is a lot of unbelief here. And even if there is a little bit of faith here, it seems that that little bit of faith, there's a lot of confusion for them. They didn't expect a resurrection, even though Jesus had made it very clear to them. But they don't fully believe until later on when Jesus reveals himself to them and they get to touch him. 
And so verse 11, we read these words, Now Mary stood outside the tomb. So Peter and John have gone home. Mary stayed, stays outside the tomb and she's crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white, although she didn't rec recognize them as angels. Seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says again, they have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. See, that's the second time she has used those statements. The first time she said that to Peter and John. Now she says it to these angels who she's not recognizing as angels at this point. And at this she turns around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is the first eyewitness account of the risen Christ. The first appearance of Jesus. And remarkably, he reveals himself to this lady named Mary Magdalene. Oh, by the way, that's not her last name. Mary is from Magdala, and that's why she's Magdalene, because that's where she's from. There's other Marys in the story, and this is a way that we can identify, oh, that's who that is. That's who you're talking about there. Okay? So she is from Magdala. And so what do we know about Mary? We know that Mary now has been a follower of Jesus for some time. But that's not where she started. We know that her life was as demonic as life could ever be before she met her Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 8, where we first meet this Mary, we find out that she was possessed by seven demons. And as I read this account, it is amazing to me that she would be the first one that Jesus would reveal himself to. She is the first one that gets to see the risen Christ. Not the 11 disciples, but Mary. And Jesus asks her, woman, and this is a term of dignity, it's a term of respect. He says to her, why are you crying? Again, the second time she's been asked this question. Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. You see, Mary loved Jesus like she had never loved before. And she has been loved and shown love by Jesus like she has never been shown love before. She has known the sweet fellowship and relationship with the Son of God, with the Son of love. And now he is gone. He's dead, and she can't even show him the common courtesy of putting some spices on his body. And she's devastated by that. She doesn't recognize that he's standing right before her. But then look at these words. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turns towards him, and she cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All he had to say to her was her name, 
Mary. I mean, isn't this a beautiful example of what Jesus said in John chapter 10? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You see, Mary knew that voice. She knew the way that he had said her name, that said, there is only one that says my name like that. We sing that song sometimes in church, He Knows My Name. Ever thought about those lyrics? He knows my name. He knows every thought. He sees every tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. That is true. He knows your name. He knows your name. Can you imagine the shock that Mary must have felt in that moment? I mean, going from this heart-wrenching sorrow, a, a sorrow so deep that she has never experienced before, to the most exhilarating joy that she could ever understand. I mean, going from here to here, the changeover was incredibly profound. And so she grabs a hold of Jesus, as if to say, I am never going to let go of you again. I'm never going to let you out of my sight again. I mean, this is just her pure display of love. Right? And Jesus says to her, No, Mary, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. If you've been here through our series, do you remember way back in chapter 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father and he was looking past the cross to the time when he would be in glory with the Heavenly Father. And in his prayer, he prays, I am coming to you. I am coming to you now. You see, that's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us and, and means when it says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, that wasn't the joy of the cross, that was the joy of being able to look past the cross to the time that he would be in glory with his heavenly Father. That is why he was able to endure the cross and scorning its shame because he was looking past to that relationship with his heavenly Father. Because Jesus knew that he had to go through the cross to get there. You see, in the upper room, when Jesus was with his disciples, he said, when I get back to heaven, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who is the Son, or who is the Spirit of Christ, who will be in you. And you will have all that I am in you. And all the resources of heaven you will have in you. All the peace of heaven, all the joy, all the power will be in you. But he says to Mary, Mary, not yet, because I haven't yet ascended to the Heavenly Father. Instead, he says to Mary, go. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Go tell them. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that the disciples are referred to as brothers. Up until this time, we've seen them referred to as slaves and friends of Jesus. But now they're called brothers. How is it that they can go from being slaves and friends to now being brothers? 
The answer is through the cross. The cross has made it possible for us to become children of God, to be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read that Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. In Romans chapter 8, we read these words, that, that the spirit we received brought about our adoption, testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus, who will be glorified with him. Do you get what that means for us as believers in Christ Jesus? That we get to share in his rewards. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. To become a brother and sister of the Son of God. I mean, that is good news through the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is quick to forgive. He is quick to repair broken relationships. Remember, these are the disciples that abandoned him in his darkest hour. They abandoned him when they should have been near to him. But he is quick to forgive, and he calls them brothers. Mary, go tell the brothers. Listen to this. He says, I am sending to my father and to your father, Mary. To tell them, I, I am ascending to my God and to your God. And so Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things to her. Locked in a room, these disciples were terrified of the consequences that would fall on them because of their association with Jesus. The last thing these disciples had expected was the resurrection. Again, even though Jesus had told them. And so on the evening of that first day of the week, that is Sunday, when the disciples were together with locked doors, I mean, it was locked from the inside, not to have anybody come in, because again, they were fearful of what, what would happen to them, for fear of the Jewish leaders. And then Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. That must have been startling for them to be in this locked room and Jesus walks through the door. There is somebody in our household who gets a little bit scared when people enter the room if they don't know about it. And so sometimes when you walk into the room and they don't know and they jump, sometimes I like to scare them. Sometimes I like to, you know, sometimes I make noise when I'm walking down the hallway so that they know that I'm coming. But there's other times when I just like to move into the room and then they turn around and they see me and they go, ah, why do you always do that? I wonder if that's what Jesus did here. Right? But notice what Jesus didn't say to them. Jesus didn't say, shame on you for betraying me. Shame on you because of your doubt. Shame on you because you failed me, but no, he says this, he says, peace. 
The disciples were terrified. They were at their lowest of lows. They were shocked with the recent events that had gone on. That was on the forefront of their mind, and Jesus came and he spoke peace into their situation. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I mean, this was an actual physical bodily resurrection. The disciples, it says, were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And I think overjoyed seems to be pretty understated here. Because again, they've gone from the lowest of lows. I mean, Jesus is dead, and we're going to be dead too as soon as they find us. To now the highest of highs, because Jesus is there present with them. And again, Jesus says to them, this is the second time he said it to them. He says, peace be with you. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, fellas, here, listen, you guys need to calm down. Okay, because you're wound up. You need to hear what I'm about to tell you. Because this is important. And his message to them is simple yet profound. This is Jesus' first post-resurrection sermon. And it's a command. And basically, if you're familiar with your scriptures, if you're familiar with the Great Commission, this is really kind of the Great Commission kind of summed up. In Matthew chapter 28, we know the Great Commission that says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Here he says, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we read these words, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As He has come, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's why you're here. That's why we are here. God the Father sent the Son. And the Son is sending us. To fulfill that task. As the Father sent the Son, the Son is now sending us. That is why you and I exist. Everything we do in our lives is to let our light shine so that people will see our good works and glorify our Heavenly Father. You see, whether you are an office worker or a construction worker, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent, whether you flip burgers or just like to eat the burgers, whether you are a weekend warrior on the basketball court or the soccer pitch or on the golf course, Lord willing, that's going to happen soon, or even at the hockey rink, you can let your light shine so that people will see your good works and glorify your Heavenly Father. And with that... He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, we read that Jesus had said to his disciples, to his brothers and sisters, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, Jesus didn't leave them on their own power and on their own strength. He didn't leave us on our own power and on our own strength. But he says, I give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to do this. 
And then he says these words that sometimes are very confusing. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I mean, how is this possible? And in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, we read these words, Who can forgive sins but God? But as we read Acts chapter 10, we read these words, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Peter is talking about Christ. Whoever believes in Christ receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And we have been sent to tell others that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I can say to you, your sins are forgiven. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I can say you're still in your sins. That's not on my authority. It's not on your authority that you can do that. It is on the authority of God. We are his messengers. And so the gospel is about forgiveness. It's about repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But this message that Jesus gave, Thomas missed out on it. Thomas wasn't there with his disciples. And so we read in verse 24, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means that he's a twin. He's got a twin somewhere, and we don't know anything about his twin. He's one of the twelve. Thomas is one of the twelve. He was not with his disciples when Jesus came, and so the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he wasn't buying it. And he said to them throughout this week, he said, listen, uh, you know what, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, that is the following Sunday, his disciples were again in the house together. And Thomas was with them this time. And through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said again, peace be with you. You know, when our boys were much, much younger, I had chipped my elbow, hurt my elbow somehow playing hockey. And, and, and in my elbow, I could move something around in there. There was something loose and there was some fluid that was building up in my elbow. And I thought it was kind of neat. And so the little boys, I said, hey, boys, come here. I said, give me your finger. And each one, one by one, I, I said, here, can you feel that? And they got to move it around. And then the next boy, right? And I go, hey, check that out. Feel that. And they're like, Dad, that is so cool. And so I said to my wife, I said, Carly, come here. Check this out. She said, no, thanks. That's gross. <laughs> I think what Jesus did to Thomas is so cool. And he says to Thomas, he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Hear that? Not just your finger, Thomas, but your whole hand, okay? And put it right there. Go ahead. Put it right there. Put it into my side. And some of us might go, that's gross. 
But I think that is so cool. Because of the personal touch that Jesus had for Thomas. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And that was enough for Thomas. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, I am convinced. And Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that, my friends, includes all of us. We believe in the one we haven't seen. We believe in the record of the scriptures. We aren't argued into believing in the Bible. We were led here by the divine power of the Holy Spirit. To believe in the Son according to the scriptures. And John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And so we walk, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, by faith, not by sight. So this morning, do you believe? Will you say together with Thomas, my Lord and my God? A lot can happen in three days. Oh, praise the name of Jesus.